What is up, guys? It is the Blue Bloods coming at y'all with our first episode of our Pac-12 and 31 Days theme. And we are joined by writer and editor for BearsInsider.com and Cal Sports Insider Jill McGill is joining us today. And I just want to say I appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks, Zach. No problem at all. Absolutely. So we got to start out. I mean, I think the Pac-12, this this season of the Pac-12 has been one of the most difficult in recent memory. Larry Scott made the decision to postpone the season, and it was praised by some but condemned by a lot of others, especially when the SEC, ACC, and Big 12 began to play football. What was your initial reaction to the decision to postpone the season, and what was Cal's plan if Scott, if Scott and, the, and the upper management of the Pac-12 did not change their mind? Well, to be honest, I expected Scott to make that decision. It seems like every organization on the West Coast played it extremely safely, and I think personally it was a, a mistake because – they pushed things back so far that it seemed as if there was going to be no season at all, and then they had to do a 180 and, and pivot and try and throw something together at the last minute. And that cut down on the timeline to be able to make up games that might have been missed for COVID uh, quarantine situations, contact tracing and things like that. So there was very little wiggle room that was left. Um, Cal lost three games. They lost their first game against Washington, which was tough. And it's funny because Washington fans were kind of pointing a finger at Cal and saying, come on, you're screwing up. And then they probably missed more games than anyone in the league, if, I, if I'm not incorrect. And then Arizona State was supposed to be the next game. And then their cases flared up and they became a mess. And so Cal pivoted and played UCLA at the last minute instead, which was a disaster. They weren't ready for them at all. Um, so they flew to L.A. instead of Tempe. And then the last game of the well, – actually, they lost uh, the Washington State game, second to last game of the season. That was a crazy one. I pulled into the parking lot across the street from Martin Stadium and got the text that the game was canceled. And then the last game of the season, Arizona canceled too. So – there was no room to push any of those cancellations out to a later date because they started so late. So really frustrating. And I, I know that they're erring on the side of caution, but I think hindsight is twenty twenty, and we're seeing a lot of the things done on the West Coast were probably a little bit overly cautious and restrictive. Right. I agree. I mean, I, I thought, you know, taking the wait and see approach and also not having a schedule built in any added flexibility really hurt the Pac-12 down the line. Because, I mean, we, you mentioned Washington. They qualify for the Pac-12 title and can't even compete because of the COVID restrictions in the Pac-12. So that was a real tough loss for them. But with Cal, you mentioned the one in three season. They had three games canceled. And you mentioned that first one canceled, which started the season off pretty sour. But just in terms of on-field performance, though, did this season meet, exceed, or fall short of your preseason expectations for the Cal team? It definitely fell quite a bit short. I was expecting Cal to contend for a Rose Bowl berth this year because they were deeper at all positions than they had been in quite a while. And really, the, the first game was sort of understandable because they had to, to pivot and switch from a, a road trip to Arizona State to 
play UCLA at the last minute in the Rose Bowl. They had had their defensive line out all week. The offensive line was missing guys due to, to COVID uh, protocol. Um, it was just a disaster. So you can live with that first loss. They just weren't prepared at all. But the other three games were very winnable games. The Oregon State game, Cal had two special teams returns um, for touchdowns that were called back. They had a punt block deep in, in Oregon State territory that was an easy touchdown for them. Um, just they, they totally botched that game. And then the, the Stanford game, they uh, had two kicks blocked in, in one game, and including a short field goal that, that was the equivalent of an extra point. Um, they should have been three and one on that season, and they would have beaten Pac-12 champ Oregon. So it was right there in their grasp. But even with all of the um, players that were out in mass and position groups to um, contact tracing due to the COVID, um, even with not having more than four spring practices and barely any fall practices they still should have been in a really good position. So now it was really disappointing. I think they'll be in a lot better position this season. Right. I mean, I, I had Cal finishing up there in the Pac-12. I thought the 2019 season, this was a team that finished on a real, real high note. And so I want to move quarterback uh, Chase Garbers, who's going to be entering his fifth season. It looks like he's going to be the unquestioned leader of this offense going into 2021. He had a solid year, but 2019, I think, really showed his potential. Um, you know, what are your expectations for Garber this year, and where do you think he ranks in terms of returning Pac-12 quarterback talent? I'd say Garbers would be in the top four to five quarterbacks in the league coming into the season based on his situation at Cal and um, really things setting up for him to have a good year. Last season, he was playing behind an offensive line that missed significant time all season from COVID protocols, and they couldn't practice properly against the defense because the defensive line was out half the season with COVID protocols. Um, It was a new offense he was learning from Bill Musgrave. He's had a chance to learn the offense now. The offensive line is nine deep with guys that can step in and play with no drop-off. The receiving core is pretty much nine deep too with more talent than we've seen in quite a while. Uh, the running back core is six deep of guys. The team feels can contribute well. Um, Musgrave has a, a pretty dynamic offense when he has pieces to work with. So I expect this to be a really good year for Garbers and the offense. Right. And so, you know, I was, that's where I wanted to go to next. Bill Musgrave steps in, and he he was he was t- it was tough for him because he didn't really have a lot of time to implement a system. No spring practices, summer practices, really even no fall preparation. You know, you mentioned you thought we could see a you know a breakout for this offense, but what are some differences that you think are we going to see almost what looks like a different scheme for this offense this year, especially with the added preparation for him to implement more wrinkles into the offense. Yeah, I do expect to see a night and day difference from the offense. I, I think they're going to go from one of the the weakest offenses in the, the Pac-12 in 2020 to a, a top four or five offense in 2021. The defense is going to be really strong, but the offense should really complement them well this season as opposed to what we've seen in the last couple of seasons. Right. And, you know, it all starts with the head man, though. 
Justin Wilcox entering his fifth season as the head man for the Bears. He don't, he does have a 500 record his first four years, but for me, in my perception of the program, things seem to be on the upswing in every aspect of the program right now. So just for you, someone who's been covering this program for years, what makes Wilcox the best fit for this program? And what is the tone around this program about just what kind of job he's done building this program up? Well, Wilcox got his first position coach start at Cal in 2003 in Jeff Tedford's second year. And early on when he was a young assistant, a lot of people said, you know, we may be looking at, at Cal's future head coach down the line. So when he was hired four years ago, it wasn't a surprise at all, especially after all the successful stints he had as a defensive coordinator and in four or five of the top programs in the country. He runs a, a, a really good ship, efficient. Um, there's just a level of respect amongst the coaches that is kind of unprecedented. Usually there's not necessarily a ton of compatibility between offense and defense or um, various individual coaches for whatever reason. And they, to a man, say this is the most enjoyable staff they've ever worked with. Um, they also set a big, um, a big emphasis on chemistry with the players as well. They bring in what they call OKGs, our kind of guys. So they not only have to be able to handle the, the academics of Cal, which can be difficult, but they have to be high-character guys to go along with talent on the field. They don't want people disrupting their chemistry. And they'll ask the players on the trip, hey, you – Hosted these guys on their visits. What do you think? Do they fit in? And if they say, Coach, no, this guy's all about himself or whatever, they, they'll they'll stop recruiting him, or they'll have a real serious conversation at least and see, hey, did this guy slip up? And that's really not him. Or uh, so chemistry is huge. I think he's laid the the foundation for a lot of success in coming years in the program. One of Cal's biggest problems you, you've heard, I'm sure, of a lot of the big names that have come through the program, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Deshaun Jackson, Marshawn Lynch, Cameron Jordan, all these guys that are top players at their position in the NFL. And you think, well, man, Cal's had all these high impact guys. Why have they not had more consistent success? And it's because they haven't had the depth. Finally, now they've got depth at every position. Some of it's young, but they're, they're guys that have shown in camp that they're really talented and they've got good size. He's emphasized upgrading the size because Cal's always been kind of middle size, maybe even a little undersized, but that's, that's changed a lot. And you can look at every position on the roster and see, you know, if there's guys that can go down to injury and there's good guys to replace them. And that's been a very unusual situation. That's been Cal's Achilles heel. So Cal fans think that he's set things up to start a consistent run of successful programs. I don't think that they're happy with a seven or eight win season and sneaking into a bowl game anymore. I think nine plus wins is kind of the, the baseline for what Cal fans are expecting now. And of course, so many people, the, the gold standard is the Rose bowl. The last time they went was before I was born and before a lot of Cal fans were born. And there's an expression Rose bowl before I die. And that applies to almost every long suffering Cal fan out there. And I think he's got them set up in in a position where it's a reasonable expectation to, to get back there finally since the first time since 1959. Right. I mean, it, it, 
the the door is wide open, in my opinion, especially with you know Oregon breaking in a new quarterback, uncertainty surrounding a lot of big positions at USC. So I definitely think the door is open, and it all starts with recruiting. And I don't know if a lot of our listeners know how successful Cal was on the recruiting trail this past season. It was a top thirty class in the country. It was a top three class in the Pac-12, headlined by four-star J. Michael uh, Sturdivant and a huge transfer in Raymond Woody III from Florida State. But for you, what were the biggest positional needs for this program, and which of these you know, incoming recruits could make an immediate impact for this team? Positional needs, it's interesting. Um, I was thinking about who they, where do they really need to address depth issues, and Nothing jumped out, but I would say that if you have to narrow it down, it would probably be defensive line. They were thin on the defensive line outside of COVID last year, and uh, now it turns out that one of their most talented defensive linemen, Brett Johnson, is out for the season, and normally that would be a disaster, but they've got uh, a really nice recruiting class of big D1 size guys ready to go early, including Achille Calhoun, who is an early entry guy. So he's got spring and summer under his belt, too. I brought in a group of four big defensive linemen that are all super talented. Well, three of them super talented. One is a little bit more of a, a project that's really interesting. But Derek Wilkins, a four star from Rancho Santa Margarita in SoCal, um, joins Calhoun as bookend defensive ends and, um, there's uh, another defensive end that's uh, a little bit more off the radar, Miles Williams, but they're super excited about him out of, out of Mission Hills. And they brought in a New Zealand player who's kind of new to the game of football, but he's got a lot of athletic potential, um, Yale Moore. So they've really shored up the defensive line well with this 2021 group of recruits that are coming in, and it's nice to have Calvin in early too. Sorry for the barking dog in the background. Uh, all the other positions, they they have a decent amount of depth, so they they have the luxury of bringing guys along more slowly. Although some, I have a feeling, are going to force their way into the picture earlier than later. Especially like you mentioned, uh, J. Michael Sturdivant. He's a guy that virtually impossible to hold back. They were super excited about him to begin with, and then he goes and, and runs a 10-400. I mean, that's, that's one of the fastest receivers in the country, and going along with his, his 6-3 size and his catch radius and his talent, I can't imagine how he's not going to play a lot. Then you've got a four-star guy like Jermaine Terry, who Bama half the country offered. Um, he's from right down the road, and he's NFL-sized already and super talented. Guys like that, you expect to get on the field earlier than later, but they're going to have the luxury of bringing a lot of these guys along more slowly, even though they're talented, just because they have a lot of depth already at, at virtually every position. Right, right. And, I mean, you got to see these freshmen um, – and these incoming recruits in spring practice, who which wrapped up on March 20th. It wrapped up a 15-practice football camp for the Bears. Looking back at spring practice in the spring game, what were your biggest takeaways from this fifth, from these 15 practices and this spring game? 
Well, the defense seems to just have retooled and to be as strong as ever. But the biggest takeaway, I think, is that Musgrave's offense is starting to take hold and the offense is just a lot more deeper than than what we've seen before with a lot of playmakers. It, it was kind of cool to see guys flash that, that um, you might not have expected to be early contributors like uh, – Tommy Christakos is one who's a freshman that's a 6'5 receiver who um, kind of looked like a complimentary player in the previous class, but he's a guy that was high-pointing everything and making crazy catches. And uh, seeing um, another uh, 2020 receiver, um, Justin Baker, running wild all over the field, super fast, super elusive. That, that offensive line group being nine deep now as opposed to struggling to put together five competent guys that were healthy, those are the things that really stood out the, the most, that this, this is going to be a balanced team from all appearances, which they have not been in recent years. Right. I mean, that's that's always good to establish depth and have all that talent around. So I want to look ahead to 2021 here. Um, what players, if you could name any that myself, our listeners may be overlooking that you think could really shine and have their breakout season this year? You know, some of the players that might stand out might be guys that aren't obvious from the, the beginning. Like, I think you're going to see the defensive tackles make a big impact, which doesn't always show up on the stat sheet because taking on double teams and closing gaps isn't something that necessarily shows up as a tackle or a sack. But they've got two um, young defensive tackles, nose tackles, that are really big guys, Stanley McKenzie and Ricky Correa, that are both, 320 and 335, 340 that are almost impossible to move. I think that'll that'll give them a nice boost up the middle. Um, the offensive line, again, it, it's something that it's hard to quantify how good the offensive line is outside of how many sacks they gave up or uh, how many, what's the average uh, yards per carry. Um, I think we, you'll, you'll see a, a boost with, a lot of the, the young guys that are going to be mixed in with the, the starters and be able to spell them like Braden Romy or Ben Coleman, uh, Brian Driscoll at center backing up Mike Sifal. Those are the types of sort of unsung heroes that I think will make a, an impact on the field that casual fans might not recognize. Um, Sturdivant is a guy that I think is going to come in and do something right away. And I think probably the guy that fans have the biggest expectations for for a breakout year would probably be receiver Jeremiah Hunter. He came in and was in position to start as a true freshman last year. He, he jumped a few talented guys, including uh, Makai Polk, who ended up transferring to Mississippi State probably because – like that happened, getting jumped by, by freshman when he was pretty good himself. Um, he's a guy that I think has strong NFL potential. He's tall, he's fast, he's a great route runner, he's elusive, great hands. So if you're going to narrow it down to a guy that you might see statistically have the biggest impact, 
maybe it's going to be Hunter. Right. Um, I mean, and looking looking ahead to 2021, man, I'm the the Bears have a tough schedule with some games on the road. TCU is going to be a tough non-conference road game. Washington, Oregon are always tough environments to go play in. But overall, I look at the schedule and I see a real opportunity for the Bears to make a run in a Pac-12 title berth. For you, though, what is the ceiling and floor for this 2021 team right now in the month of May? Well, it may sound crazy, but I think uh, a ceiling is 11 and one, and a floor it really should be below nine and three. Which, uh, if it if it is, there's going to be a lot of disappointing Cal fans. Right. I mean that, that that that's a that's a big mark. I mean, 11 and one is is definitely doable with the schedule. But last question here, man. Auburn, and I'm an Auburn graduate. Auburn is scheduled to play Cal in like 2023, so I'm hoping to make a trip when this happens. But for right now, I have not been out to Berkeley, out to California Memorial Stadium. For those who haven't experienced this game day atmosphere, what makes this campus and this stadium so unique on game days? Oh, man, I'm, I'm pumped up for that home-and-home home series. I, I was really excited when I heard it. You know, fans that come from across the country almost universally say they they love the beauty of the Bay Area, the stadium. I think I've seen a game in 35 college stadiums, you know, not counting NFL venues. And to me, it's it's the most scenic that you'll you'll find. It's set in Strawberry Canyon at the base of the the Berkeley Hills, up above the stadium. You have a view of the the Bay, the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. Um, the, the stadium is a classic um, Greek architecture stadium that was built almost 100 years ago, 98 years ago. Um, fans are passionate. They're actually friendly to visiting fans. Um, I, I think that fans visiting from Alabama, from the Auburn program, will absolutely love their experience out there. I think the closest... Um, Comparisons would be when the Tennessee fans came out and the Ole Miss fans came out, and they had an absolute blast. Yeah, I'm so pumped. I'm just a stadium guy. I like traveling. Like this year, I'm traveling out to Penn State to go see Penn State Auburn. So I will be in. I'm going to put everything, start saving up so I can come out there to Berkeley and experience that game. But man, I appreciate you coming on. Um, I know we had some technical difficulties and everything, but we got it. We got it. We got through it. But where can our listeners find you? Where can they find everything you do as you cover Cal football? You can go to bearinsider.com, B-E-A-R-I-N-S-I-D-E-R.com. We have a lot of content that's available to the public that's non-subscription. And uh, on Twitter, you can find me specifically at um, bearinsider underscore com. And uh, bearinsider.com is our regular site. Twitter account. So any of those venues. And we do podcasts periodically too. So there's a lot of different ways you can catch up with what we're doing. Yeah, that that's awesome. I def, I was checking out the website. It is amazing, man. And guys, make sure to go check out Jim and all things Cal football as we approach the season. It's going to be a program you want to see. 
we will definitely be reaching back out to Jim closer to the season, guys. And But y'all know where to find us. This kicks off our Pac-12 in 31 days, and we got some awesome guests lined up next week. But, guys, for Jim, for myself, and for the Blue Bloods, we are out.